Hello and welcome to 22 Voices, a podcast series brought to you by the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. My name is Vital Powers and this series will tell you the stories of the sporting legends and cultural trailblazers as the countdown to the games continues. My guest today is Mark Lewis Francis, a fellow black country boy who went from a Smethwick Council estate to Olympic sprint champion. Mark Lewis Francis got into athletics after driving past the Alexander Stadium with his dad. Within a few years, he was the fastest junior in the world and his career-defining moment came in 2004 at the age of 21 when he led Team GB to gold in the men's 4x100 relay at the Athens Olympics. It will go down as one of the greatest moments in British Olympic history. An individual Commonwealth Games silver medal followed in 2010, but injury problems forced him into retirement in 2013. After a short-lived stint in the British bobsleigh team, he lives a quieter life these days with his family in South Wales. He's a father of four, a salon owner, a motorbike rider, and now a guest on 22 Voices. Mark Lewis Francis, how you feeling, man? Let's just, I just want to see what's going on, man. Welcome to 22 Voices, bro. How, how's everything? Thanks for having me, man. Things are good. Well, you know, despite the times that we're going through and that, you know. But um, yeah, man, upbeat. Looking forward to the future and what Birmingham's got to bring, you know. Um, very exciting times. Yeah, very exciting times. See, listen, you're a champion and I always like to know what champions do in their spare time because we see, we see what we see, if that makes sense. But like, what have you been up to, obviously, during COVID, during the pandemic? Like, where's your head been at? Well, the first lockdown, I kind of spent time with the family. You know, my daughter was off school. The missus was still working, you know, because she's a key worker. So I decided to, to be the teacher at home, you know. Um, so for the first lockdown, I was at home baking cakes, you know, reading books you know, ABCs and all that stuff, you know. Um, and then, you know, as every parent that's been, that's been in this lockdown knows that that can get a bit repetitive. So for me, I just want to salute all the teachers firstly, because it's not easy, you know. Um, but yeah, just getting to know my little girl, you know, and then, you know, um, that's basically it. So um, yeah, just being, just being a dad more than anything else, you know. It's, it's crazy that you're saying that because a lot of people, a lot of parents that I know said that they, they were able to connect with their, their youngest, like, well, their siblings, but also their, um, their kids and, and family a lot more in a sense of just having the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I feel like that was proper value, man. And speaking about time and family, I know your backgrounds, you got a Jamaican background, I got a Jamaican background too. And, and I'm, I'm eager to know what your upbringing was like being from Smethwick. And uh, just kind of, I, like, I don't even know, I would, like, kind of elaborate to me, let me know what was it like, you know what I mean, in that space? So, you know, my mum was a strict Jamaican woman, no messing about, you know. Um, you know, she was a single parent, but my dad was still in our life, yeah, so I don't really want to disrespect him by saying he wasn't about, because he was, you know, but he just didn't live with us. So, um, the scenario was every black child that lived in Smevit back then was, you know, you had rules and regulations that you had to abide by. Sometimes you break them, sometimes you get a beating. It's all good, but it made me the person who I am today. You know what I mean? And um, I think my discipline really did start from home. You know what I mean? And watching my mum work, the amount of jobs she worked, and um, provide and put food on the table for us. I think that kind of gave me my, my driving sport to never give up and always try and aim high, you know? Because, you know, my mum came over here with, with nothing. You know what I mean? And she ended up getting an education and getting a good job. 
So um, for me, that was kind of my that was my first um, interpretation of what hard work is. And bearing that in mind, bro, because again, I feel like a lot of the young people in in, in the generation that that, that that they're in now, maybe they don't see hard work that much. And I always feel like it's because I haven't been through anything. Do you mean like so? Do you feel like you know like the 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 strong upbringing that your Jamaican background gave you, and and I'm from dad, from mum, probably like cousins and aunties and whatever else was so important. And also, do you instill that on your kids now? Oh, definitely. When you got structure and when you've got a bit of a routine in the household, you know it makes you a better person as an adult because I still follow those rules today. Do you know what I mean? And it's mad because you know. Uh, even getting out of bed and making up my bed made me feel like I'm starting my day properly. Do you know what I mean? If, if that makes any sense. And that all comes from my mum. So for me, it helped me realise that, you know, sacrifice equals reward, you know, and that's my motto, you know, in, in life really to this very day. So um, I think that toughness in life kind of helped me be an international athlete because it made me realise that you don't get nothing for free without putting in the hard work. And I think today, in this modern day, I think the internet and social and other people's lives are growing up the youngsters today and they're not really seeing it from their own perspective. Mm. I like what you said, man. Sacrifice equals reward. So again, just to kind of touch on it one more time. So like my background's Jamaican as well. My mom's like, you know, Jamaican background. My dad's a Rasta. Similar same thing, bro. Like I never, like I grew up my dad and he wasn't there, then he was there kind of thing. So I, I understand the kind of, I'm going to keep the respect level, but it wasn't always A1 all the time. You know what I mean? So what I want to know is because my mum actually became almost like my best friend, even though I've seen all these, like my mum my mom wasn't a strict, strict Jamaican like woman in, in any kind of space, but she was definitely like a person that would nurture me and, and say, listen, she would never say to me like, don't do this. She'll tell me why I shouldn't do it and explain. And so as I've grown up, I've become so wise and so open and, and you know, I've never been led any kind of certain way, bro. So I'm always asking like, you know, within that upgrowing of the strictness, bro, w were you ever in a position to kind of go do something the wrong way before you went fell into sports, if that makes sense? Yeah, of course, we all do. You know, we always, you know, like, from my grand, because my grandparents had a big role to play in my life as well. And my grandfather always used to say to me, don't be a sheep, be a shepherd. Yeah, so don't follow the crowd. But as a youngster, you follow the crowd. And sometimes you get burnt, but... I think that's a lesson that you, if you don't learn from your mistakes, how are you going to become a better man? You know, so in my upbringing, there was many, many mistakes that I made, you know, sneaking out, hanging around with mates, you know, not going to training and then realising I'm actually hurting myself because when it came to competing, I was getting beat. So I had to kind of think, you know what, I need to fix up because everything that my parents are saying, it's like I'm... I'm, 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 I'm getting burnt and then I'm seeing the effect and then I'm, you understand? So with my parents, they, was all, they would always preach to me and it, you understand what I'm saying? Like I said, my mum was strict because she had to be, she had to be the mother and father of the house. She had a big boy, I was a big child, you know what I mean? <clears throat> so she had to kind of make sure she set boundaries and rules. You understand? She always used to say, whatever you go on with outside, make sure when you cross that threshold of this house, you leave it outside. That's what. That's how my mum used to be. Again, bro, we're in the same position, bro. My mum's got three kids and I'm the oldest, bro. So I understand, like, we can't fail. We, there's there's so much pressure on the shoulder, bro. Like, you have to go forward, bro. Um, I want to ask you, bro, when did you realise? Because, like, obviously, I do, I'm a musician. I do loads of different stuff. And there's always that point you kind of think, yo, I'm good at this. 
When did you realise you could run fast? In fact, when did you realise you could run faster than everyone else? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I want to say junior school, infant school. Mm. We, was, we was playing a game of British Bulldog. Nobody could catch me. And that was the first time I thought, oh, I'm quite quick. But at that point in time in my life, I didn't know what quick was. I didn't know what sprinting was. I didn't know what athletic was. I just knew I was fast on my feet. Yeah, I lived in um, a place, Grove Lane, Smevik. Yeah, and there was a lot of dogs. There was a lot of stray dogs on that estate. And there was always a route that me and my sister used to take home. And we had to run from these bunch, a bunch of dogs. I don't know where the owners were, but we always had to run home. And me and my sister would always... And these dogs would never chase us. <laughs> I mean, would never catch us, you know? So that's when I knew I must have some kind of fast, fast twitch fibers in my body somewhere. Um, and then it got to a point where I got to high school, first year high school. Um, and I was a bad dude, I'm not going to lie. I got expelled. I got expelled from high school. And um, I was at home. I spent six months at home. Uh, there was a series of things that happened in school that got me suspended, suspended, then I got expelled. Then I was at home for six months and then my mum had enough, you know? And she's like, yo, yo you got to go live with your dad. So from that point there, I went and lived with my dad for a little while. In that time that I spent with my dad, my dad was like, you're not sitting in my house eating out my food, yeah? So come, you have to do something. So I remember driving past Alexander Stadium and asking him what that was. What, what is that? I ain't never seen that before. I lived in, again, Smevit, and my biggest stadium was Hadley Stadium up in Bearwood. So when I was driving past Alexander Stadium, I was like, whoa, what's that? A football? A football stadium? He's like, nah, nah, we've got Villa, Birmingham, West Brom. That's Alexander Stadium. Come, let's go and have a look in there. So we went and had a look in there for the first time. I think it was his first time going in there as well. And um, we went to the main reception and we said... Um, When's the athletics? When did, when's club night for athletics? And they said Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we came back on a Tuesday and I got introduced to my coach, Steve Platt. And then from that point there, I was like, yeah, this is for me. Because again, I played the football, I played rugby, I played team sports. And I'm a very individual person where if my team's winning, I'm, if my team's losing, I'm very depressed. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Oh, how can I make this team better? So it wasn't for me. But with athletics, it was an individual sport where what I put in, I got out. So I think that's why it clicked with me because um, I went down there. Don't get me wrong, I went the quickest in a training group, not by far. But within a couple of months, I learned the ropes and things started to happen almost straight away. My schooling got better. I was able to get back into school. I was able to leave the group of friends that I was chilling with and find a new group of friends that had the same interest as me. And um, um, the athlete was born in that very time, you know? What's, what's amazing for me, bro, is like what you kind of described to me is what I've seen a lot of the time when I'm mentoring young people. It's when they, when they refocus or find a focus, that's when things start to make sense. And I feel like a lot of us at that age, we are mad talented and mad curious. And if that curiosity isn't put to something, it goes anywhere and goes everywhere kind of thing. And I feel like that's what happened to you. And I think it's a blessing that your dad took you to that stadium that when he did. 
Like, I feel like that was a pivotal moment. And then you said a lot there, so I'm trying to uh, get it all together. And then you said something about your coach, Steve Platt. So, like, what was he to you? Because I know that in a, in a lot of young people's lives, when they've got a coach for any kind of sport or, like, a music teacher or a certain school teacher that makes a difference in their life, was that what Steve Platt was for you or...? Yeah, they say angels walk amongst us, right? That's what they say, in it? So, like, we wasn't financially wealthy at that time, in it? Yeah, so my coach used to go out his way to come and pick me up and make sure I got home okay and, you know... Obviously, I identified the talent from a, from the get-go and he knew that, you know, this kid's got something. But most of my friends could have been professional footballers, most of them, but it's always boils down to the lack of funds, you know? Mm. And, you know, it gets to a point where you get to a certain age and it's either further education or get a job and make money. Do you know what I mean? And that's always the catch-22. So I was kind of blessed in that situation to have... Steve in my life at that point in time because like I said earlier you know my education got better never got suspended from school again because I realised if I got suspended I can't compete you, can't, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying so I had something I had something that I could physically lose that I had genuinely interested do you understand what I'm saying so <clears throat> naturally everything around me got better and um, my school started to understand obviously I got into a new school and um, George Salters in West Bromwich have to uh, definitely big them up because they had a lot of patience when it came to me, you know, um, and they put in a lot of effort and time when it came to my support, uh, my my sport, you know. Um, so yeah, they they supported the athletics. You know, I was able to go to English schools. I remember going to my first English schools athletic championships and coming second or third, and thinking, wow, I want to come back next year and win this. I was like, yeah, this is. This is amazing. I was travelling up and down the country, going to Manchester, Sheffield, London, you know, took me right out of my area. My mum moved from Smevik to a place called Darlaston in Warsaw. Mm. So I lived in Darlaston from the age of 14 all the way up to 18. And um, for me, um, that's when it really started happening for me because mm. I've moved from Smevik to Darlaston. I don't know nobody. I gotta go to school. I gotta come home. Then I'm going to training. Then I'm coming home. The key things, man. It's like your environment. Once you change your environment and you change, like you haven't even got an excuse anymore because you don't know nobody. And and anyone that you will know that you're coming from a different point of view. Like, well, not that I'm just a young kid trying to figure out. Oh, this is my passion. What do you do? You know what I mean? And if you don't align, you'll move. You'll move. Move. Move uh, forward, man. So I just think it's important to for people to understand how, how significant, you know, like the refocus and, and the environment is. And, in, and that's also why, and i got to be honest, a lot of young black people sometimes, because of like society, government, that put us in these areas, for example, why we can go left because we're, we're left without any options and without any opportunities. And I feel like, I don't know if it's a, if it's a universe thing, a godly thing, or just your mind, you, you was able to manoeuvre outside of that, bro. Like how important just at the stage of being what? 14 to 17 or to 18 was that for you or did you even understand like the differences that you're the spaces that you're moving in now yeah of course because when my mom moved from Smevit to Dallas and I was angry I was like why are you mm. moving way down there for but she had a she had a plan in it remember my mom's got her dreams and destinies that she wants to achieve as well you know she's studying to be a nurse at that point do you know what I mean and you know trying to be a better person for herself so she had to make wild decisions as well 
you know, and wherever she went, we was definitely going to follow because we were kids, you know, and for me, like you was just saying, sometimes when you change your environment, you change your person because you start to see different things, do you know what I mean? And people say to me, how, how can you leave Birmingham and live in London for so long? And how can you live in London and then move to Wales? Because I'm not, I'm not planted in one place, do you know what I mean? I always will remember and respect where I come from because it made me who I am. <clears throat> but I always believe that, you know, when you go see different places, you learn new things. So mm. when it came to being a young athlete and I was going from Manchester, Sheffield, London, you know, for me, it was like, wow, these places are different, you know, and I'm learning, meeting people that look like me, but just got a different thought process and, you know, and, mm. you know, they're into the athletics, so you got to compete against them. Or, but it, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. So for me, it just opened my eyes a little bit, being able to move away, move around so freely, and compete against people from different areas. Can I ask again? So just touching on like the Jamaican background, because I know when I started doing music and as things started to pick up, and I started to work with the BBC and other spaces, and I was presenting, the Jamaican family would always look at me a certain way. It was like. I think I'm this now, or I think I'm certain. You know what I mean, like, and I, and I don't know how was how would that, was that for you? Obviously, you was on like big, big, like you know, like big levels, like to a, to a lot of people that probably would never even know how to get get in them rooms and them spaces. So was that ever like was there any judgment or anything like that from friends or family? I keep it real with you. Like my family's pretty big, and there's been been a lot of success in my family. You know, um, and I didn't really see myself as this big superstar until. Mm late 30s you know now mm -hmm. i'm retired and i look back on what i've achieved i'm like yeah man i did a lot but while i was doing it don't get me wrong yeah i knew i was competing and i was fast and i was the fastest teenager in the world but it never got to my head like because you, you know when you come from nothing and you achieve it just keeps you humble because you never want to get back there do you understand what i'm saying so for me as a person it never really changed me, you know. I've still got the same friends that I got when I was growing up. Mm. I'm still around the same people that I was growing up around, you know. I can still walk around Smevit, West Brom, wherever in Birmingham and still be normal. Go to the, the food shop in Perry Bar and just get served like anybody else, you know. I don't really see my achievements as superstar status. I just see them as a hobby that I turn into a career. Mm. So I can put a roof over my head and put food on the table. Do you know what I mean? And that's the God's honest truth, you know. Uh, but now looking back and when my, my, you know, my, my oldest son is 18 and he's like, Dad, you've got Olympic gold medal, that's crazy. But I don't really see it as crazy, you know, because it was like I just yeah. said, it was a hobby that turned into a career. It was just routine for me, standing on the track and racing against whoever was on the track at that time. So, you know... Um, Again, you know, I think when you let it go to your head, that's when you start slipping away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But even still, it just shows your character. It shows how, like, the humble nature. And also, like you said, for the main part is coming from, like, not having much to having something you understand that, you know what I mean? But so I want to kind of talk about, so you being, like, you know, a massively successful junior, then going into, like, like a senior kind of space and doing what you did in your career. Do you feel like you lived up to the level you could have? To put it in perspective, yeah, I started athletic when I was 13. I won my Olympic gold medal when I was 21. Mm. You feel me? So in that short space of time, I went from 
junior, under 23 to senior, very quickly. And from under 23 to senior, I was racing the likes of Donovan Bailey, you know, over David Thompson, Morris Green. These are people that I used to watch and go, wow, these guys are rapid. And I'm I'm on the start line with them. So I put a lot of pressure on myself as a young person. Hold, hold, hold on. Being on the start line, looking left and right, and you see them. Like, what's what's that? Like, talk me through that feeling, because I can only compare that to being an MC, being around, for example, a Skepta and a, and a, and a Kano, and I'm rapping with them. But that's the <laughs> thing. You know when you're actually in your in your zone and you're, you've warmed up? Remember warm-up was like two mm. hours? You've got your music on, you're zoned in, you've trained all year for this. So when you, it's like when you step on the stage and you're next to a Skepta or a Dizzy and you've got to spit your 16, you don't care who's next to you because you put the preparation in right. for this. So right. Right. that's the only way I can really explain it to you, and it? Like, when I was at home, I was like, whoa, these guys are rapid. But when I was racing them, I'm like, I'm going to beat you today. Yeah, and that's mm. where I think people got my interpretation of being an arrogant sprinter wrong. Because you're putting so much um, sacrifice into this. It's 10 seconds max on that track. So you've got to think you're the best of the best at, for them 10 seconds. So you've got an Olympic gold medal. Where, where is that now? Because I don't know where I would put mine, to be honest. I think I would, my mum would have to hold it for me. I don't know. Where's yours? Like, no, I'm saying not where specifically, but like, where do you keep it? No, it's in the house. It's put down. Um, like, like I said, my Olympic gold medal, this is probably the first time in years that I haven't had it next to me because I do a lot of schools um, and I take it into the schools, you know, um, to encourage the next generation, you know. So this is the first time since this is, I don't even know that I can, I can't, I haven't seen it for a long time, you know, but you have to remember the Olympic gold medal, it's just, it's just metal, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's the experience that came with it for me that's more important and, and, and the journey that, that that I took to get it, you know, and me sharing that with people from similar backgrounds from where I'm from is more important than the actual medal for me because, you know, as a young kid, I used to dream and I used to dream about standing in that stadium. I remember watching Barcelona Olympics around the dinner table, my sister, my mum, myself, eating, eating, eating Sunday dinner and watching the 100 metre final with Linford. And I used to mm. wish and dream. I want. I want to. I want to be there one day. And that dream came true through sacrifice and hard work. I just always knew something special was going to happen at the games. But we had people like Justin Gatlin, Sean Crawford. Those guys were in mad shape, mad mad shape. So mm. I never made it into the final of the hundred meters. I was. I was in. I was in good shape. I was in good mind. I was in good spirit. It just wasn't meant to be. You know, the talent mm. out there that year was just crazy. You know, um, I didn't make the final because I wasn't the better athlete on that day. You know, um, I went back to my hotel room. I was devastated, heartbroken. I think me and Jason Gardner sat in the stands and drunk a beer, thinking we could be there, man. You know, what do we need to do to get there? You know, we, we weren't there. So, you know, um, I went back to the hotel room. Obviously, I phoned my mum. And she she reminded me, she's like, you know, you got the four by one relay, ain't it? I'm saying, Mum, I don't even know if they're going to select me because I never made the final. You understand what I'm saying? So I don't know what's going on. But she's saying, have faith, man. I just remember having a bit of faith and going to every relay practice and trying to be a member of that squad. You know, um, and then when they announced the team, it was like the best feeling in the world. 
you know, um, the guys that was in that team at that time, we had um, Darren, Marlon, Jason, myself, a guy called Nick Smith, Christian Malcolm, um, Chris Lambert, um, Dwayne Grant. Mm. Those were the guys that were in the relay team at that time. And it, so it was a lot of people to pick from. You know, Christian had liver failure, so he didn't feature at all. Chris Lambert got injured. And the other two guys that were in the running to be selected, I knew I beat them all season, so I knew I had a good chance of being in the team. So that was my second chance. And I just remember at that point feeling the Olympic buzz. I never felt it up until that point. And then I remember standing on the line, the start line in the heat, and almost messing up in the heat, not making it into the final. I just remember going back to the hotel after that and just thinking to myself, can't afford to mess up, you know what I mean? So we watched the video over and over and over and over again. And I think we really tuned in as a team, you know what I mean? And um, we went out there, we was the underdogs, definitely the underdogs. No one expected us to win an Olympic gold medal. You know, uh, I think that's something that we've always been fighting for in all our lives as sprinters, as, a, as athletes, always being the underdogs, you know? So, uh, especially on the world stage, so... I just remember saying to the guys just before we went out there, if you give me the baton in first place, I will not allow anybody to pass me. And they gave me the baton in first place and I remember running down that track and then everything just going blank and then looking, crossing the line. No, no, no one, nothing there. <laughs> no one there and uh, Olympic gold medalist. 21 at that time in my life and it was one of the best feelings I ever, ever, ever had. And then when I came home, because while you're at the Olympics, you don't really, you don't really have an understanding of the reaction. But your house has got at home until you get home. How did you celebrate, man? Because I feel like, like there's obviously there's levels to it, man. When you do something great, you, you almost want to hold on to the feeling and, and experience it with other people, like your people. So did you do anything to kind of like, really like just say, oh, this is what we won, man, or whatever? Yeah, after the, after the event, definitely... And a bottle of champagne, man. We embrace the moment. <laughs> Definitely embrace the moment. But when you come home, reality kind of sits in again because you realise there's next season. Because I was so young, I didn't really want to... I never really dwell on previous success. I've done that. I've achieved that. Thank you. But now I want to move on to the next. And that was me as a young athlete. And don't get it twisted, I don't really think I respected the Olympic gold medal until I retired. But you know what it's like, you, when you're still competing, you're still tuned in. You still want to still wanna strive for the next, you know, I messed up in the 100 metres. You understand what I'm saying? So my aim was to get to Beijing and correct that. But I tore my Achilles tendon. My head was gone. And um, I was running out of options. You know, I wasn't happy with the coach that I had at that time. And I decided, listen, I need to really sit down and really evaluate what I do. Do I retire? Do I try and go to another coach? Who, who's the best person for me? Who gets me? And Linford's always been in my athletic life from when I was a junior all the way up to senior. I'd always see him at certain places and he'd drop a little knowledge on me and just be there like a big uncle. You know what I mean? So... One day now, I just decided, listen, I need to give him a call and see if I can arrange a meeting. And um, I called him up and he said, yeah, come round to my house and we can have a sit down and reason. And like, 
you know what it's like as a Jamaican background kind of thing. If someone big like that invites you to their house, it's 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 love and respect from the get go. It wasn't a Starbucks. It wasn't um, any any other chain. It was his home, you know. So I thought, alright, cool. So I went to his house, and that inspired me alone. I was like, okay, this is real. So I walked into his house, we went into the kitchen. The kitchen, same size as my house. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is Linford Christie we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? So went into the back room, sat down, and we just had a heart to heart. You know what I mean? And I made some conscious and wise decisions at that time. You know, as a mature athlete, I think I was about 25, 26 at that time. You know, and... Um, sat down with him and we just decided yeah this is what I can do training wise this will be the program and you'll start training if you can in September so help me out at this point was was uh did you any of your Achilles heels were they torn at this point now at this point I was overweight and I was I was I was fit enough to run so okay okay. I went to limp for that in my worst state and within within that first the 2009 winter season training on the exercise bikes he had me on the high jump bed doing high knees sweating and I thought I need to do this got back into some kind of routine discipline and just listened to him on a daily basis you know and um, came 2010 season I opened up in the indoors which is normally my strongest event indoor 60 metres I think I ran something like 658. I was like, wow. Right. 658 for the 60 metres. I'm like, training's going well. So we kind of, <laughs> yeah. I think we knocked it on the head just to see where we was and went back into the training, gave me more confidence. And um, I think it was the European year, European and Commonwealth year 2010. And um, I think I remember just training throughout the year, going to the trials, just missing, just missing out on the 100 metres, missing that third spot. So the third spot was up for debate. I was gutted, but they selected me for the four by one relay, which is still something. Okay. So I took yeah. that opportunity in 2010, European Championships, four by one relay. So I said, okay. So we went to the holding camp. And uh, there's a bit of a backstory with this, but we went to uh, Portugal holding camp. And like they put us in this lovely hotel, training facilities all around, you know, <coughs> buffet. You know, we eat, we're seeing lobster, oysters, the whole shebang. I've never had an oyster in yeah. my life. I had about three of them. And then um, some of the guys from training was like, yeah, we're going to go to the driving range. So I said, all right, then cool, let's go to it. Never mm. I really done the driving range thing before, but yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So we went to the driving range and I picked up the golf stick and my belly went, do, 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 do. obviously the inevitable happened, both ends, I was ill, yeah. But Seriously. it was like a blessing because I lost the weight that I needed to lose. I was out for a couple of days, drinking water, mm. you know, trying to hydrate myself, lost a little weight. And then I got back on the track and started training. Started training, started training. And the head coach at this point was like, I want to have a conversation with you after this training session, Mark. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thinking, because I had that oyster and I was sick, he might pull me out from the relay, what's going on? But, um, he pulled me to the side and said, I've been watching you train and I'm very impressed. I want to give you that third spot for the 100 metres. And I'm like, 
you know, at a point in your life where you just want to cry, but you, you hold yeah, it together man. and you're like, yeah, man. And I said to him, I appreciate that. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. He said, top 10 will be amazing. You know my background, we just spoke about it. Top 10, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. top 10. You put me in 100 metres, I'm making a final. I'm no, going to get a medal. Yeah, so anyway, quite a long story short. We get to Barcelona. Barcelona is where my coach won his Olympic gold medal. So at this point in time right now, I'm like, Linford, listen, wouldn't it be amazing if I could walk away with a medal? And he was like, you know what? That would be amazing. That would be a big achievement. And I believe you can do it. Just listen to what I gotta say. Eat plenty of fruit and drink loads of water. I was like, cool. Straight. I was just hydrated. I was in my body was good. I was in a good place. And um, I remember walking around the, uh, the track with him for the first heat, then doing my warm up. And he said, just go out there and treat this heat like it's a final. So I go out there, bah, 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 make it through to the the next round. So the same thing again, what you walk around the track is like, treat this semi-final like it's a final. So all right, coach, I got you. Bam, 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 bam. Just made it in 0 0.01 of a second to the final. Jesus. I had to wait for the one for the first race to go. And then I realized I've made it into the final. They gave me lane two. I had an Italian guy next to me, and then I had Dwayne Chambers in the in 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 the other lane in lane, right. in lane yeah, yeah. In, on the right of me. So I was like. If I can get out with Dwayne, because I know Dwayne Chambers can start. I know the last part of my race is my strongest part of my race. So anyway, cut a long story short. Ran the race, crossed the line, I dipped. So I'm thinking, oh, I got a medal. But I didn't know what medal I got at that point because it was a blanket finish. And I was looking yeah, up yeah, at yeah. the scoreboard and I was like, Waiting. I've got a silver medal. I've been out of this game for two years. I put all my eggs in the one basket. I believed in the one guy that's always been advising me throughout the whole of my career. And he gave me a European silver medal. But it didn't stop there because we went to the Commonwealth Games and we won a silver medal in the 100 metres and then a gold right. medal in the 4 by one So people normally ask me, which medal do you value the most? And it's got to be 2010. Because I had to really right. work for it. And, and that's basically it, you know? So that's how the relationship with Linford came about. You know, it all came mm. off me just following my gut. And we all have that. We all have that. We have that gut feeling where we like, we know it's the right thing to do, but we're not sure if it's the right thing to do. I think I think a lot of us question it because of like the world and logic and and sometimes your heart or your gut is just saying yo that's what it is but you need to listen to it so the fact that you said like what two, 2010 you've that opportunity's happened and it's almost like set the trajectory for what whatever else happened after that I think it's beautiful bro like I think it's it's so sick I, I kind of want to switch it though so this is it's obviously going back to Steve Platt a little bit so I know he passed away I think in 2007 man I just want to know man because again. In these kind of, you know, in creative spaces or, or, or high, high, high end kind of like sports or like athletes or anything like that, there's a lot of like confidence you've got to try and build or find and a lot of like mental convincing, I don't even have to call it, just where you're going to really be assured about what you're doing. And when you lose someone that's a part of the journey, I'm sure it can knock you a bit, even if you're not even in conversation with, with them at the moment, if that makes sense. So did, how, like what kind of effect did it have? When, uh, when, when Steve Platt passed, man? Um, all right, the story with Steve Platt is Steve Platt was my first coach. 
you know, who's the coach mm. that I had all my success with, you know, from mm. a junior all the way through to an under-20 athlete, all my success was with Steve. And um, the powers of B forced our hand, you know, that I had to leave Steve to go find another coach that could take me to the next level. And I didn't really want to do that. I didn't really want to do that. But <clears throat> at that point in time in my life, I needed to leave Birmingham. Do you know what I mean? Because there was a lot of distractions. I was world junior champion, European junior champion. You know, I had a lot of things going on, but my career was kind of slipping away from me and I needed to find that next level. So I decided to make the decision to go down to London and train with a guy called Tony Lester. And, you know, me and Steve would have conversations on a regular basis. How's training down there? How's everything going? And I, I just tried, I tried my hardest to, to keep that relationship going, but... It would only want it would only take me back home because I was already homesick. Mm. So I kind of had to like focus on just getting the season done and just seeing what 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 it could bring for next and all the rest of it. And while I was down there, Steve phoned me and we was having a conversation and you know just talking as we do and something in my soul just told me something's not right with this conversation. Why does this conversation sound like a goodbye conversation? You know. Mm. So, um, without going into too much detail, because it still cuts me to this day, you know, uh, mm. I got a phone call to come to Birmingham and I said my goodbyes, you know, and uh, it, mm. it, it hurts still because this is the guy that saved my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the guy that used to come and pick me up. This is the guy that believed in me. This is the guy that used to jump in his car and take me to athletic meets. Do you understand? So, he was like a father to me. Do you understand? And I mean, legitimately, he was like a father to me. You know, and he made so much sacrifices within his own family as well. You know, uh, he's got kids of his own, you know. they probably got hobbies and things that they want to do. But I know most weekends, he was taking me to athletic meets. And I, I, I love him for that, always will. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, man. So when he passed away, my option of going back home and being coached by him again was gone. So mm -hmm. I was kind of lost in my career because mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that option of going to Linford, I think I would have had to retire because I didn't really have trust in anybody else to take me to that next level. You've got to look at it like this thing's a business, and it? If you're not producing yeah. for your coach, they don't really care for you. Linford had my best interests at heart. You understand? And he, he, took, he took that on board. You know, it could, have been, it could have been good, it could have been bad, but he took that risk and he took me on board and... We had nothing but success. So he saved me too, you know. And that's why I got nothing but love and respect for him. And, you know, when you're from a place where I'm from, you know, people that help you in the way, you'll always be loyal and true to them no matter what. And I think um, when Steve passed, it was hard for me to uh, kind of accept that because he was like, I can't go back home. Bro, you know what's mad? Like, I, I see... More than just a father figure, man. It's like, it, it's part of your life. He was definitely part of your life. He is part of your life, you know what I mean? And uh, I think it's, it, is, it is difficult, man. I've been, I'll be honest, I haven't dealt personally with a lot of death. But a lot of people around me, I know, have dealt with death. So I've, I've been there as the shoulder, if that makes sense. And I, I know, I know it's, it's difficult to manoeuvre around that idea or that feeling, man. But like, again, what obviously both of them have done for your life is it, amazing. And it's, it's inspirational just like hearing it. First hand, you know, I can read all day, listen to a podcast all day, but first hand, bro, is proper inspirational. And just kind of just speaking about, you know, Brum, 
the Midlands, like your hometown, and like, do you ever feel like or wish you could have like run for like like the Commonwealth Games in in your hometown or anything? Oh, like most that? definitely, man. It cuts me differently <laughs> that I can't do it, man. You know, I always I just thought about let me go get my spike, see if I can train for Commonwealth Games twenty twenty two. Yeah, but you know what it is. I think it's time for the next generation, and I competed in Manchester in two thousand and two. And mm. let me tell you, the atmosphere was magical. And I think Birmingham, Birmingham is definitely going to put on a good show. We always do deliver, you know. Um, I'm a proud Burmy, born and bred. And um, some of the changes that have been made already is going to create so many jobs, it's going to create so much opportunity. I want people of Birmingham to embrace it. <laughs> I don't want it to be taken over by people from other counties. I know it's for the country, I know it's for, but we deserve this, do you know what I mean? Manchester City took over the Commonwealth Stadium um, and look what great stuff it's done for the surrounding areas. City. You know, uh, yeah. and I think we can deliver in the same way. It's all about leaving a legacy for our future, you know what I mean? And, mm. you know, uh, me just sharing my story on 22 Voices, you know, I hope it inspires a youngster to pick up some spikes and, start athletics, you know, and kind of understand that it's an individual sport. What you put in is what you get out. If you really want this, let me tell you, you can achieve it. I think your dad taking you to, or driving past Alexander Stadium and you seeing it that moment is so specific and, 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 and significant because it's them little moments that you can't plan. You just, you just happen to look... You just happen to look left and see the stage. You could have looked right. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, right. <laughs> could have looked right for real. And like, for me, that point there wasn't a good day to begin with, you know, because I think my dad was vexed that I was with him <laughs> and not in school, you know? So that morning when we got up and, um, you know, my stepmom at that time used to own a hair salon in Birmingham. And I think he was dropping her off to work. And I really thought he was taking me back to boss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> the so, whole drive, um, just yeah, driving past that stadium at that time and that point, it, for me, it showed him that I do have interests. Um, mm. I spent some time in Jamaica. I spent the whole of the six weeks holidays in Jamaica. As you know, that's a Jamaican boy thing. <laughs> you have to spend the whole summer holidays in Jamaica at the some whole, point in your life. All of it, bro. And, and listen, I did that. I spent the whole of the summer holidays in Jamaica. And I think he kind of picked up that this, this kid's quick. You know, this kid's yeah. got some feet on yeah. him, you know. Um, I think I was about 11, 12, just before high school it was. Mm. And because we was both in the, at the right place at the right time and if I didn't say what's that and he's like track it connected do you understand what I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah so so for me for me like you said right place right time and that was that's that's when the athlete the athlete Martin Luther Francis was born you know definitely I'm going to talk to you a little bit about some kind of things outside of, of like your your initial kind of direct talent and, and what you've like you know like made a career out of it's, it's more about just like, you know, interest and in, in, in what Mark actually likes, you know, and, and what things you do now kind of thing. But well, obviously, COVID, pandemic, that's where we're at. But the start of it, what what was beautiful for me is that because of the, I don't know if I can call it silence, like everyone had to just be still. In the saddest way, you know, George Floyd got killed and everyone had to see it and had to hear it and had to listen to it. 
So no one can't ignore, cause th you know, man, things like this happen all the time, bro. And I'm not even just saying like in America or in the UK, it's all different in different places around the world. But like, what did that mean to you as a black man, a Jamaican man who has come from one place, you know, figured his way out, out of it and, and built something. And I know, bro, I've been through it where certain, it could even just be security guards, never mind police, but, but wanna attack you and, and make you feel like you're less than, you know what I mean? Like, what did that feel like to you? Like witnessing or seeing that or just, understanding that that energy at that time? I couldn't watch the whole video, you know, if I'm honest with you. Mm. Couldn't do it, you know, because, as you know, as a young black man, if you've got grandparents that have been in your life, they always used to sit down and tell you, you have to try harder than the next man. My grandparents used to make me pick up a book on a Saturday when all everybody else is outside running up and down, you know? Yeah, read the book for an hour, man. Then you can go outside, you know? But I was blessed like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, like, seeing what happened to yeah. George Floyd on that day, for me, we've been going through it. Me too. I haven't... Now, I, I'll now I haven't watched the whole video because I don't need to see it for 8 minutes and 42 seconds for me to understand that it's a, that it's a problem. One second is long enough, if that makes sense. And what, for me, what I understood is that it's not black people saying, oh my God, it's everyone else. So that's the only good part. That it's like, yo, be aware, because it's been happening. But I think the generations of today, it's not so bad because I think everyone sees everybody as one. You know, I think there is racism out there and I think there is prejudice out there and I think everybody's got their little bit in them. It don't matter what it is because everybody's competing against one another regardless. Nobody wants really anybody to be better than them. I don't come from that kind of background. If I see my friends achieving, if I see someone that I've met in the industry achieving, I'm legitimately happy for them because I know what kind of work it and, you know, what's, what, what success is. It's a lot of sacrifice. Do you understand what I'm saying? And like with us, it's just like we've been, we've had to always work that little bit harder. You know, because it's, it's, it's the history of it as well. My grandparents came over here, wealthy Caribbean people. They wasn't broke. They had money, but they wouldn't be able to come here in the first place. My granddad bought property in the UK and then he rented the, the, the rooms out to fellow Jamaicans that came over too. You understand? So that's how I got into property, from his knowledge. So... It's whatever you want to embrace from yours, you know, and take to the next. Do you understand what I'm saying? And coming over and taking jobs and taking women and all that rubbish. It's all rubbish because we came over here to help build back this place. So I don't deal with that period. I don't, I, I don't, like, my, my children are mixed race. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, like, I don't really see colour. I see people in it. And what, what the situation with Joe Floyd did is open everybody's eyes that see the same as me. Do you understand what I'm saying? At the end of the day, it's all about your surroundings and your people that you surround yourself with. And I'm glad that everybody's starting to recognise that. When I was growing up, the only racist experience that I ever dealt with was when I moved to Darleston. Bad. But when I was living in Smevik, I never experienced no racism. Most of my friends that I grew up with were white, black or Asian. Mm. Most of them. So I've never had to deal mm. with none of that prejudiceness until I moved to Darleston and it was a massive shock to my system. 
made me feel awake. Do I catch the bus at this time? Do I walk through Warsaw at this time? Do I go all the way around through Smevik back to Warsaw, West Bromwich, Warsaw? It made me feel vulnerable, and that's the first time I ever felt vulnerable. Then I, again, you know, as a teenager driving, it was a problem as well. So that's the first time I ever experienced anything like that. And I was just like, you know what? Things need to change. And again, as I got older, it kind of died away because Darleston now is not racist. You know what I'm saying? So for me, I'd like to think it's gone away. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And people are seeing people for people. I'll be honest, I would like to think that too. I just think like people are, because of the internet, people are a bit more like, you know, I can't just say things out loud. So they're kind of almost either keep it to themselves. But, but to be fair, it is in a better place than it was 20 years ago. Like that's without question. You know what I mean? Like, um, oh, let, me, let me ask you, bro. Cause I want to know like, so you live in South Wales now. So my girl is actually Welsh as well. So I feel like we've got bare connections, bro. You know what I mean? She, 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 she's, from, she's from Newport, you know what I mean? Um, but like, what was the reason to move down that area? And um, like, what's your life now like after like athletics and you've got kids and stuff like that? Where's your head at and what's that like now? Yeah, so I've got four kids, you know, um, two from a previous relationship and two with my missus that I'm with now. Where am I in my life? I'm learning new things. I'm doing new things. I know we're going through COVID at the moment. So the venture that I went down was obviously to own a hair and beauty salon. The property for me, again, my granddad, you know, uh, he always told me as a young man, always invest your money into bricks and mortar, you know? That's something that will always be around and will always go up in price, you know, whatever, you know? And um, people, there's always someone that wants a home. You know, so again, that. And, um, you know, before this lockdown happened, I was going into schools, uh, doing a lot of mentoring and working with a lot of disengaged kids and just trying to, again, like I said in the podcast, just try and make my legacy be someone else's legacy and make them be able to understand that anything's possible if you put your mind to it. You know, um, and I was doing a lot of work with uh, Team Super Schools and um, David Ross Education Trust. You know, um mm. But again, you know, COVID kind of put a halt to that. So it made me kind of look at my own surroundings and my own family and realise that you're working so hard that you're not even engaging with your own. So, you know, just doing a bit more at home, you know, and um, just being a dad that I know I can be. And um, it's, 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 it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all that matters, man. It's like once you obtain like whatever success is to a person it's like then it's like now let me do all the, the smaller things let me make sure that all the little bits and bobs are filled in in life and i feel like that's what you're telling me you're doing and i think that's beautiful man i want to ask you two more questions before i, I let, let, let you do your thing man uh and one is it's, it's more like if you if you didn't look left and see the stadium that day either what would you want to do or what do you reckon you would be doing you know what i mean you know most people are probably expecting me to say is, oh yeah, I probably would have, you know, just been on the road and been whatever. But that was never my person. I was always known as the bad kid that's going to end up lock up. So I, had to, I, was like, I was always trying to prove people wrong throughout my whole life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, that was my drive, man. My drive was to always be a better version of me. I think it got the better of me near the end of my career because I put so much pressure on myself. Mm. And I didn't. 
I didn't really ask, but is that why you retired? Because of the, the Achilles heel or...? I stood on the start line, man. And I looked down the track. And I thought to myself, I don't want to do this no more. I was getting battered by, battered by the press, battered by the media. Wasn't getting into no good races. And I was just like, this isn't me, man. It's killing my soul. You know, and in 2014, I walked away from it. And an old relay coach phoned my phone and said, um, what do you think about bobsleigh? I was like, yeah, let's try that. I can still sprint, I can still train, I can still have a routine, but I'm divorced in athletics. And um, I did bobsleigh for a couple of years, man, and it helped me, man. It helped me walk away from track and field because... I'd probably be still competing today, man, if I didn't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? But I just remember standing on the track and thinking, I can't do this no more. I'm not going to allow this sport to take any more time away from my life. I feel like in sports and again in the music, it's not that there's a time to retire or to leave, but it's, it's so fast-paced that you could live a whole nine-to-five career if you used to convert that into music or into sports within five years if that makes sense do you know what i mean like it's it's proper condensed so it does take a lot out of you in a short space of time and for you to recognize that bro i think it, it, it tells who you are man it means your head's in the right place man yeah of course man course 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 because like i said the sport's taking me away from sports days with my kids parents evening christmas plays all that stuff and I'm, I just didn't want it I didn't want it to do that no more you understand what I'm saying so for me I think it got to a point where I needed to be a father I needed to be the person that my son my daughter needed in their life at that point in time instead of trying to chase my own goals and like I said I built my foundation I just need to put a house on top of it and I'm at that stage now where I'm actually putting a house on top of my foundation and I'm just buying the wood to put a roof on there and then I'm done. Do you understand what I'm saying? I thought I had one question left for you, but I got one more I need to just squeeze in. And I'm just thinking about that kind of generational, like putting the hand out. If someone came up to you who's like, I don't know, 15 years old, eager to run, like, like, or not even eager to run, but you've seen them run or someone told you this run and, and, and they may be a little bit bad or a little bit unfocused, like, would you kind of do what 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 Steve and what what Linford did for you to for them? But yeah. I think I think the energies that Steve and Linford got off me is that they sensed that I wanted it. So it's all about energies, man. Um, you know me, I I live off energies, man. You know if the energy's nice. right, man, I I definitely work with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're willing to sacrifice, then I'm willing to work with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're willing to turn up at a certain time every week and put in the work and don't question nothing about it, then I'm down to do it. You know, mm. I'll go out of my way, pick you up, drop you off, whatever you need to get there. You understand? But you show me something first. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the same philosophy. It's the same. It's exactly the same. What I what I was taught. You know what I mean? And uh, like I said, Birmingham's got so much mad talent. So much mad talent. And what these games are going to do is going to open up a door for so many youngsters. It may not be in sport, it may be sport management, it may be physiotherapy, it may be masseuse, it may be, may be anything, but it's going to open up so many doors and people are going to start believing and seeing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because for me, when I went to Bertrand Harriers and I seen the likes of 
Denise Lewis, Dwayne Ledejo, you know, uh, Derek Redman. I was like, oh, I, I see these guys on TV. Ashia Hansen, <laughs> Catherine Mary. I was like, these are all superstars, man. And I see them on TV, but yeah. they're just eating jacket potatoes and drinking a cup of tea <laughs> with their coach, having a discussion about training. They're normal people. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's when I was like, I can do this. If you sacrifice, you'll reap the, you'll reap the rewards. Definitely said that many, many times over this podcast. I'm a firm believer of that. If you're willing to put in the work, you'll get it. Don't be a sheep. Be a shepherd. The same information, the same, the same advice. Do you understand what I'm saying? And like, sometimes something can feel so, so far away. It's not really that far when you start going in the right direction. I just want to say, you know what I mean? I just want to say thank you, bro. Because honestly, not even just on a conversational level, bro. I'm sitting here inspired just about the journey, the, the trials, the tribulations, the hurdles, the, the, the focus that it requires to be great in, in whatever you want to create and whatever you want to be, bro. And obviously to just know that even at the end of that, the, to me, the important part is, are you happy after? And you're telling me you got family, you got kids. Like that to me is the end goal. No matter what the success, success brings you, it's what do you have to show for it? Not the gold medal, you know what I mean? But the family, the friends, the the liveliness, the contentness, the contentment kind of thing. So honestly, bro, thank you. Thank you. Anytime, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Listen, pals and love. You guys, you have locked into 22 Voices with Mark Lewis Francis, the absolute legend. It's a pleasure for me, vital to even have the conversation, bro. So thank you so much, man. You've been listening to 22 Voices from the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. I've been Vital Powers and thank you to my special guest, Mark Lewis Francis. To hear more from 22 Voices, head to birmingham2022.com forward slash 22 Voices. And don't forget to subscribe by searching for 22 Voices wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you again next time.